Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. Okay, so we're in the middle of talking about just this thought that I had uh, that I believe was from the Lord is that, you know, we like to try things our way all the time and then we see how it works out. But, you know, why don't we try it Jesus's way? Why don't we just try it his way in some things, you know, in some areas of our life? Why don't we just give his concepts or his principles a chance and you know my dad told me this story as I was growing up um, I remember when he went out and he did this trip and he came back and he told me a story and he's told it more than one time you know how we are we like to tell the same stories over and over but this is a funny thing because he goes up with his buddies and they're up kind of close to Denali and their snow machine and they got their all brand new snow machines out and they're just ready to go have a great time and they get out there and they get socked in and it's just super foggy, and they got these brand new sleds out there, and they can't do anything with them, and they're sitting around playing cards and hanging out and doing nothing for days, days. So the testosterone builds up, and they can't take it anymore, and they jump on their snow machines in the middle of the dead fog and just go for a ride. <laughs> I mean, my, dad's, my dad's like a sourdough Alaskan, been around a long time, and uh, he knows better. But they were just bored and they couldn't take it anymore, so they had an idea. And they, there was a way that seemed right to them, and so they went out and they tried it. And they started driving, and they're cruising, and they start going up this hill that turns into a mountain, okay? And they're going up and up, and they're like exchanging like who's in the lead. And like one guy goes up and then finds a spot, and then they all come up, and they find him, and he's there. Then they go up to another spot, and they're doing this for a long time, really high. And finally, his buddy takes off, goes up, and they're waiting. And then they're just about to get on their snow machines and follow him. And they see him, and he comes running back down. And he's waving his arms and shouting, stop, don't do it. And they walk, so you guys, you guys got to come up and see this, he says to my dad and his friend. And they walk up, and they get all the way up to the edge. And there's this guy's snow machine. The skis hanging off the edge of a 1,000-foot drop. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, leads to death. <laughs> he knew better. He knew better. But you know, it's funny that sometimes the fog of life can shift what we see and what we perceive to be right or a good idea. And sometimes we come in and instead of taking Christ's principles, God's principles, he set forward for us to live a healthy, good, righteous, productive life. We apply our own principles, and then we just start to head up the mountain of our life the way we see fit. And we'll find ourselves with our skis hanging over a thousand-foot cliff. Or if what could have happened if he would have not had this feeling. The guy, the guy was my dad's friend. He said he had this feeling. He's just like, uh-oh, and he grabs his brakes and he stops for whatever reason. And then he looks over the edge. <laughs> Freaked him out. Like he almost got sick to his stomach and he just jumped back off the snow machine and fell back. There's a way that seems right, but in the end leads to death. Each one of them could have easily just went over, over, and over. And I would have been about 14 years old and not had a dad. That would have been a bad day. But thank God, the Lord had a different plan for his life and rescued him from his own ways that he thought it was right. Come on, so 
What are the areas in our life that we just get into a fog and we shift what we decide is right and we just begin to apply our own principles to our life? So here's the key principles we want to add in and re-anchor ourselves to the truth is centered around how we deal with offense. What did Jesus teach us about offense now, and how we deal with it? Now, we taught, a, we taught a, a series called The Table, and in that we were talking about how God provided this table for us to eat of, and it's all the goodness of everything he has for us. And there are things we do that we trade for our seat at the table, and one of those things that I taught on was that we would trade our birthright for a bowl of soup, and, and, and that we would trade the, the thing that God purchased for us for offense. Don't trade your birthright for a bowl of soup. Don't trade what God has given you and he's given so much to us for just getting offended at people. So if you want to get envisioned about why you should apply these principles to your life, go back, listen to that message, okay? But I want us to dig in specifically to how did God instruct us to do it, all right? So we're going to go into specifics here. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and Facebook it to everyone. Wait a second. Oh my gosh, wait, that's not in there. Jesus didn't say go Facebook it to everybody? Oh. oh I'm struggling so bad because there's people in my life that are so mean to me. We everybody pray for me? If another believer sins against you, go privately. I wonder if privately means one-on-one. You know what? I think privately might mean one-on-one. I think Jesus might have meant we keep it between you and me. I'm not sure what your interpretation of private means. But I'm pretty sure he's talking about a one-on-one encounter with you and the person that has offended you. Okay, so principle number one, keep it between you and the person. First. The first part of the framework of what Christ is teaching us to do is that we keep it between just you and me. And now, this is one of the funny things that we love to do. And this is kind of a, we've actually morphed beyond this, which is kind of amazing, is that we first would love like, Okay, I'm really offended I got hurt and you did something to me and I'm like, man, I just really got to get my prayer group going so I can make it back and I can confront you about this sin that you did to me. And so then we get our prayer group together. I got to pray for me. You just got to pray for me. I'm struggling really bad because I got hurt really bad. And this guy, he just, just did this to me and he's just so rude to me and, and, and will you pray for me and I just don't want to go to him and and, 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 and sin. <laughs> oh, so it's okay for me to gossip to you, right? So that I can be better so that I won't sin against the person that actually offended me. Makes perfect sense. Or maybe you're living in a little bit of a fog. Heading up the mountain your own way. How about this? This is, our, this is our adaptation now in the more emotionally intelligent body of Christ. Oh, because now we've developed emotional intelligence. We're prayer warriors, and now we're emotionally intelligent. So now I have a process group. Great thing. 
I got my brothers and sisters around me that I process life with. And when life is hard, we get together and we share life together. You know what? That's awesome. I'm vulnerable. I'm afraid. I need you. You help me. I'm, I'm being honest and you're encouraging me. Unless it comes to offense. And then there should be a fence that I don't cross over. Because now, okay, my process group, oh, Uva, I just need you to help me, brother. Help me because, you know, this guy, he, he really sinned against me, and I just threw all my emotions to not want to blow him up, so I'm going to go gossip about him to you, and this sin is better than that sin. So will you just help me just get my head straight before I go talk to him? Okay, now listen, we do this. This is everywhere. I'm not saying I shouldn't talk to Uva. He's my brother, and I'm going to him. I'm like, let's, let's, let's connect. Hey, I'm having a hard time. Pray for me. I have someone that I need to deal with an offense with. Will you be my prayer support? That's fine. Like, like I need your prayer support, and I'm struggling. I'm afraid. It's going to be scary to go talk to this person. Will you just pray for me? I just, you know, and help me stay accountable. I don't want to say anything to you about it because I care about this person. I care about relationships. I want to keep them straight. Come on. <clears throat> privately your process group is not your gossip group your prayer network is not your gossip space every time we share we spread and here's one of the things that we lose when we don't do it God's way we try it our way and I don't come in and I don't share with you the intensity of the emotions I have because you hurt me you and I do not get the benefit of those emotions See, when I take and I diffuse them in my process group and then package it all up nice, you don't get to feel my wrath. And you know what? That's a problem. Because then I never get to know, Rick, if you and I can handle the, the difficulty of, of the strain in our relationship. Can you handle me? Can I handle you? You know what, if I come in and I come in the godliest way I can to challenge our relationship one-on-one -on -one and, and, and you can handle it and we work through it and you get to process those emotions, do you know how much closer Rick and I just got? And, and how much more trust there is that if I blow it or he blows it, we can make it through it? You rob your relationships of intimacy and fortification if you do not take the fullness of your emotions, your hurt, into them. If you don't have the courage to do it, don't do it. There's a reason why God gives us instructions. Because his way does lead to life. But there's a way that seems right. Oh, it seems right that I'd process with you before I go challenge the person that actually hurt me. That kind of seems right. But it, oh, is it wrong? Oh, does it lead us into difficult places? And now what's really funny is the person that I processed with, and maybe it was two, three people, and then I go make it right with Rick. Rick kind of goes, eh, that really wasn't that big a deal. And I said, you know what? I might even go to my process group and figure, hey, I'm okay now. I'm not really offended with Rick. Rick never even knows. I'm stealing from our relationship. And then I've spread it to all these other people that now think less of Rick. 
And even if I go to Rick and Rick and I work it out, then I have to go back to my process group or my prayer network and have to try to work that back out with like five different people, make sure, hey, Rick's good, he repented, it's okay. Hey, Rick's good, he repented, it's okay. Hey, Rick's good, he repented, it's okay. And your next guy, huh? Dude, you know what? There was this guy, I can't remember his name. I'm just so tired, I don't want to talk about it anymore. But he's good, he's okay. <laughs> it's exhausting. And we're wasting energy when we can be building the kingdom or golfing. Something is way more productive than that. So what do we do? Let's, let's break down some principles. The first thing you and I have to do is we have to see the church as valuable. See, if God's church is not valuable to us, then we will not treat it with the respect that it deserves. Do you know what? Sometimes we actually view the church kind of like an old Dorito bag. You know what? The Doritos, we treat those with value. So much value that even the little tiny scraps and little powder of Doritos in there, we're like, we're going after them. We're like, grabbing them. I need some of that. <laughs> and the second all that powder and dust is out, what do you do with the Dorito bag? <laughs> Do you even care where it has been, where it goes after that? No. Do you use a Dorito bag? Ladies, do you ever take a Dorito bag and reuse it for something? No. Sometimes we treat God's church like an old Dorito bag. Once we get everything out of it we want, we toss it. Do you know what? You and I need to see relationships like the Doritos. Come on, that's the good stuff on the inside. We need to start treating Jesus and his church as if it's something valuable and precious to us that we're gonna guard and we're gonna take care of and we're going to treasure. See, when I start to see you as valuable, it changes how courageous I am to jump in to our conflict. Because man, we got a problem between us, then you know what, that's important to me. And I see you as important, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the time or I'm gonna try to stay in the relationship even if it's scary. I'm not just going to give up on it. But most of the time we see the church as just kind of a tool or a place or a thing that we just do. or It just doesn't have the value that it ought to. And we don't see people as individuals as valuable. And once I start, well, a lot of times we don't even let our lives be vulnerable enough that we matter to one another so that if we have a conflict or you do something that's bad or we make mistakes, we don't really even care because we're like, well, I'm just kind of anticipating that person to be gone soon anyway. So I'm not gonna even engage in this. You're just something that's moving in and out of my life. You're not someone who is valuable and has needs equal to my own. But if I shift the way I see you, the shift the way I see God's church, then it causes me to want to engage in the relationship and do the hard thing that's worth it. Because God has something valuable he wants to do in and through us altogether. When I see those things, it gives me the courage to want to live these kinds of principles, to stay in it, to go one-on-one, -on -one, to do the private, hard in encounter or engagement. But I have to first, when I go in, to, to this, I gotta see the church this way. I gotta see people this way. Then when I decide I'm gonna actually have a conflict, I need to work these principles. First, I see you as valuable. You as a person. And I'm gonna establish that value 
to engage in this conflict. And I'm gonna say something like this. Hey, you're important to me and our relationship is important to me. And I see that something that I believe could be putting that relationship at risk. And it, ha it has come between us. And it has the potential to become an obstacle for us. I would like to talk with you about this. Is there a good time to do that? Woo! Let's try it his way. We see people as valuable. So we don't just move into these principles and forget that Jesus told us that we're to love above all things. We, we can't do that. We don't just go, well, you're wrong, and I'm right, and I'm coming in, and I'm going to beat you up. See, if my perspective is that I'm going to win and you're going to lose, then I'm going to come in, I'm going to apply these principles with a win-lose philosophy. If another believer sins against you, take him away privately and beat him behind the woodshed until he gets it that he offended you. I win, you lose. I'm right, you're wrong. It's funny that we could actually read it that way. It's like somehow it's okay for me to take you privately and actually mistreat you and treat you less valuable because I perceive that you sinned and I'm in the right. This is win-lose thinking. This is right-wrong thinking. God wants to draw us together and protect the unity of the church. He wants righteousness, right living, because we all win and benefit when we have righteousness, right? Because I actually see you as winning when I see you struggling in your life. And then I have the courage to come in and challenge your life and say, hey, it, it, did this happen? I value you. I want to see you win. I don't want to see you experience the consequences of all that sin in your life because it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt others around you. And then that hurts me because we have distance. But see, I value you and I see there's something that could be an obstacle and I'm willing to jump in and have the courage to go work on it, repair it. Oh, man. But we have to establish that kind of value, and we set that when we come into the conversation and say, you're important to me, you're valuable to me, and I care about our relationship, and I want to make it work, and I want to do whatever it takes to repair it. you got time to work on that with me. Who, who doesn't say yes to that? I mean, you're radically increasing the odds that we're going to say yes. The next thing you need to do when you come into confrontation is you have to believe that you cannot see it all. And you have to believe you're not right. You have to trust you're blind. If you think you can see it all, you're gonna have blow up after blow up and you're gonna have conflict after conflict that don't lead to resolution. See, the win-win is restore. The win-win isn't, I'm right and I caught you on something. Oh, you blew it. That's not, that's win-lose. The win-win is, brother, I love you. Sister, I love you. And I see that you're struggling in something. And my job, my desire is to see you win and us come into restoration in our relationship because it's so important to me. But I have to see first that I cannot see it all. Covey teaches this principle in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. First, seek to understand before you're understood. Really good advice. So we're going to come in and we want to understand before we're understood. You know, uh, my, my uncle told me this story one time. He had joined this church, and so he was kind of new. But, uh, you know, his wife had come a couple times. They knew who she was, and 
been to like the, you know, the potlucks, barbecues or whatever. And so then one day he's driving around like nothing. And a pastor pulls out behind him just randomly, you know, in the town. And he sees that uh, there's this woman in the car with my uncle. And long brown-haired gal leaning her head all cuddling on him. And he's like, that's not his wife. I know what his wife looks like, and that's not his wife. The pastor starts going, oh, my gosh, this new guy in my church is having an affair. And he leans over. He kind of kisses her a few times. This thing, she's cuddling up against him, you know, driving. This pastor's falling all around town, getting hotter and madder and madder. And then finally, he, my uncle pulls into a, a, a parking lot, and then the pastor rushes up next to him and comes out and beats on his window. He's mad. My uncle's dog leans forward and looks at the guy. Big, long, like, I remember this dog. Big, long snout. What the heck are you doing beating on my dog? <laughs> True story. True story. Dog's name was Sugar. He's riding around with sugar. <laughs> this pastor, he's madder than a hornet. And he looks and he's like, oh, yeah, uh, oh. And my uncle's going like, what the heck's the problem? He's like, I thought your dog was another woman. And he's like, what? <laughs> she was a real dog, that sugar. <laughs> You know, imagine if he didn't actually confront, even though he was making a lot of assumptions. Dog had nice, real long brown hair. Could happen to anybody. He might want to check on his prescription. But here's the deal. You and I are just like that pastor. We think we see stuff all the time. And we're convinced, oh, that's really what it was. You and I get used to seeing things like chairs and airplanes flying in the sky, and we deduce in our mind that's real. So when I see you do something, or I perceive that I saw you do something, that's real. Instantly goes real, but it's not really real. It's the dog leaning up against the guy in his car sometimes. We got it all mixed up and wrong. And so when I have the real humility to see properly, and I go, I can't see it all. I'm going to go into a conflict with you, and I'm going to first feel i got to understand before I'm understood, okay? And I need to find out it, what really is going on. What's all of the things happening in your life? Why did you stumble out of the bar the other day, and I saw you so drunk? I don't know. If I was going to challenge you, we'd sit down and say, look, our relationship's really important to me. I want to I ask you some questions about something, man, that I think could come between us and, and, and uh, could be damaging your life. And, and I just want to check in with you. Let's sit down. Hey, help me understand. I was driving Friday night, and I happened to just be driving down 4th Avenue, and I was like, dude, I swear I saw you stumble out of a bar, like, lit. What was going on? To unpack, like, what was going on in your life that you would feel like those are the decisions that were going to be right for you as a believer in Christ. No judgment. Uh, I'm, not, I'm talking restoration right now. I don't know why you would be there doing that. It makes no sense to me. 
But I'm not judging you for the fact that you were there. I want to understand why you were there. When people feel understood, they open up, they move close, and they have a chance for restoration. But if you don't understand, it's kind of like the kid who, who, who his dad goes, I don't understand my kid. He just never does what I say. Oh, wait, you don't understand your kid? He never does what you say? Yeah, I don't understand him. He doesn't do what I say. Oh, you don't understand. I don't understand my wife either. She never does what I say. Oh, you don't understand your wife. No, I don't understand her. She never does what I say. Oh, you understand your wife. You don't understand your kids. So what we're getting to is you don't understand the people around you. You don't understand. So why would they listen to you? You don't understand what they're really going through. You don't understand what's really going on in their life. We make so many presumptions to fill in all the gaps of why people do what they do, why we do what we do. Do we want the same benefit of the doubt when we're the ones blowing it? I sure hope so. Do we want the people around us not to be so afraid we're gonna get judged and kicked out of the club? Or the people around us to be that support network that see, that are willing to have the courage to lean into the relationships and not gossip about us, but instead keep it to themselves and lean in and say, hey, help me understand what you're going through, that you would be making those decisions. How can I help? How can I help restore you? Hey, see, when we lean into people like that, then they come and they come with a real heart of, yeah, that was so messed up. My, my wife left me that day. My dog, you know, died. And, and then, you know, I lost my house. And I called six people in the church, and nobody was there for me. And so I just grabbed a bottle of whiskey, and I just hit two or three whatevers, you know? I don't even know what you call that. <laughs> I don't know. Shots, shots. <laughs> Sorry. And then I was off, and I slipped off the slope, and that's why I was out. I didn't remember getting to that bar. I don't even remember being there, but I probably was because I woke up in Spinard. Okay. <laughs> so let's start with the value of relationships, the value of one another, the value of God's church, the value of how important we are to one another. And let's first start with humility. Imagine if we released humility first into our relationships before we confronted before we judged. God says he gives grace to the humble. He releases the power, his very nature, into every relationship when we release humility. When we inject and infuse it with humility. And how about love? He says, love always wins. Love conquers all. Love will always win. So when you feel love and you experience the love, un un uh, uh, unconditional love of God, and the humility of Christ before we even have a challenge coming. How much better is it gonna go? This is why God wants us to apply his principles. There is a right way of living that produces righteousness in the church and that synergizes us all. Think about if we could stay together and work through our conflicts and our, in our relationships and never have to leave each other or judge each other because we've had a few bumps in the road. How much more strong will we be? But if we don't learn how to apply the principles that he gave us, we will just do it our way. We'll find ourselves on the mountain with our skis over the cliff. The second thing we need to do is once we have identified fully 
that we understand. We need to say it back to them. And we say, hey, so what I'm understanding is that you were struggling with your wife, your kids, and, uh, and, and, and your dog died, and, and you lost your house that day, and then you just went to alcohol, which is kind of where you come from, and you just, the church didn't reach out to you, and that hurt, and you were sad, and, and you made that decision, and, and then you just slipped off the slope. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Anything else? Yeah, and this too, blah, 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 blah. And then you say that back to them, and you say the other thing they added, until they feel fully understood. Is there any other reason or any other thing you'd like to share with me about that? No, pastor, that's good. Or no, brother, sister, that's, that's exactly how I'm feeling. Okay, so now they know that you know you really understand them. Now, you can ask them questions about, hey, how do you like the consequences that you got from that decision? You don't need to give them some big old lecture. Ask them a powerful question. How did those circumstances work out for you? What was it like waking up tanked in Spinard? You're in Spinard, and you didn't know what happened to you. Yeah, uh-oh is right. <laughs> when I'm in Spinard, I want to know everything that's going on. <laughs> Sorry, if you live in Spinard. I actually like Spinard. It just... Trouble happens in the midnight around Spinard, it seems. True. <laughs> so how, how did that go for you? Okay, so what kind of shift do you need to make in your life? What kind of change do you think you need to make in your life? What do you think Christ would want you to do in that space? What if you chose a different path? How would that have turned out? Start helping them create a new direction. Now you're winning them back to a Christ-centered principle rather than giving them a lecture about how they didn't measure up and screwed it all up again. Repeat for clarity. Come on. If you're the one being challenged, you need to learn how to repent. Somebody else brings this into your space, they challenge you, you've got to know how to repent. So let's flip it. You're coming and talking to me and challenging me about something that I've done. Hey, how about this? This is one of my things one of my gifts to the world is when people are talking to me, sometimes I ADD out. Like I, my brain shuts off. I have been talking to people before and people have confronted me about this. I'll be all like, Rach, oh yeah, tell me all about your life. Open your heart up. And she starts telling me all kinds of stuff about her heart and what's going on. And then I'll be like, Rick, oh, good to see you, bro. She's like, just opened her heart up. I'm like, she is dead to me now. She went into the black space. Oh, Rick, oh, it's good to see you. You're going to barbecue this weekend. Poor Rachel's over here. <laughs> Pastor hates me. What do I say? What do I do? I'm just like, my brain freaked out. That's happened to you. I'm sorry. God bless you. Good luck. I repent. And I realized I was doing this to people, and I had no idea. I had no idea. It was like I would black out. <laughs> I'd like be somewhere else. My, I would freak out because I get so concerned about everybody in the whole room. Oh, I don't want Rick to feel left out or whatever, and I really care about Rachel too, but then I would get distracted, and before the conversation was actually over, I'd walk away. And if that happened to you, I love you. I love you. It's just I'm not a perfect human. Oh, and I've worked so hard on this specifically. And so when that challenge came to me, it's like, whoa, okay, so what I hear you saying is, Rachel, when, when, when I was talking to you, you're opening your heart up to me, 
I just walked away? Yeah. And that seems like that would have hurt. Did that hurt? I'm so, man. So I walked away, and I made you feel devalued, like you weren't important. You opened your heart up to me. I encouraged you that, and then I just walked away. Man, that is really stinks. I am super, I am really sorry that I did that to you. Was there anything else that happened? No, but that really bummed you out. Okay, well, I want, I want you to know that when I walked away from you, that was not my heart. My brain freaked out, and I, it was not my intention. But I, I'm really sorry that I did that to you because that's wrong, and you're way more valuable than that. And I want you to know that I'm sorry, and, and will you forgive me? Okay, so we recall, we repeat, and then we own it, and we own it strong. Don't ruin a good apology with a good excuse. Hello. You got to own it strong. Keep it simple, right? Own it strong. Repeat it. Keep it simple. Own it strong. Then you got to make a shift. Rach, I want you to know that when my brain, oh, listen, I'm going to try to be as focused as I can possibly be because you're important to me. Rick's important too. And it's, I don't want other people to get in the way of when you're being open to me. And I want you to know that next time, and all the time when we're talking, I'm going to do my best to make this shift. And I'm giving you permission that if I start to walk away, you can grab me by the back of my bald spot and pull me back. <laughs> I mean, you can grab me by the arm, slap me in the head. I'm giving you permission to do whatever I need to say, Josh, don't walk away. Your brain's freaking out. Yeah, I don't want to leave. What the heck? Rach, keep talking to me. This doesn't happen very often anymore. But when I was younger, it was like really annoying. To everyone. I'd be like, feel so much shame about even doing that to somebody. I'm like, who does that? Uh, me, apparently. <laughs> okay, you guys get it? We're going to repeat for clarity. We're going to own it strong, keep it simple. If you don't own it or you deflect and you do like a judo move or a little deflection, you're like, well, uh, that happened because blah, 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 blah. You're not going to get restoration in your relationship. So both directions, we got to bring clarity into the space, and then we have to learn to forgive. Jesus said, listen, watch yourselves, 17, Luke 17, 3. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. What? Just forgive. Even that person's wrong. If it wronged you seven times a day, and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. It doesn't say you got to trust them, Okay. But you need to forgive them. You need to forgive them. Forgiveness is one of the core principles in reconciliation. And it is a Christ-given principle. He says, I forgave you the wealth of the world, and you can't forgive a penny? Come on. You and I have to engage in forgiveness. I've been with people that they, they get there, and they're like, challenge me. And then I say, look, I'm really, really sorry. And I go, will you forgive me? And they go, nope. I'm like, Nope. Nope. Really? Nope. <laughs> what? Nope. <laughs> Listen, nope's not an op option. Nope's not an option for you and I. Christ lives in you. He forgave you everything. Forgiveness is your option. Not nope. Seven times a day. 
As many times as they could possibly do, it doesn't matter. It's unending. Forgiveness never ends. It's for everyone all the time. Christ gave it for you. You and I got to give it for others. All right. So I'm going to forgive and I'm going to be specific. Rach, I forgive you for taking my wallet. I release you from that. Give me my money back. So what do you do when you've blown it? What do you do when you've blown it? What does Jesus teach us to do? Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, 23. So we're talking about other people offend us, but what happens when you have been a knucklehead too? Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go first and be reconciled to them and then come offer your gift. Come on, listen, you and I have got to take responsibility for our actions and we just jump in there and we just go make it happen. There's nothing more important to God than you fixing your relationships in the church. He says, your best offering and sacrifice at the altar that you're doing for me, you're preaching, you're doing whatever it is. It's like, leave all that stuff. The most important thing in the church is keeping our relationships right. Because then we have power together. And God's saying, this is more important than the offering and the gifts and the sacrifice you could make to me. I want you to do it. So you identify that you've sinned. You go in there and you leave your stuff. You leave it immediately. You go to the person one-on-one. You don't go to the pastor and your prayer team and your prayer network. You go to them. And then you own it specifically, right? You own it strong. I see that I did this to you and it hurt you. And I want to make it right. And then before I do, I want to ask you, what else do you see? Is there any other way that I've hurt you? Because while we're in this space, I might as well own it all. And then they tell you, and you say it back to them. So what I'm hearing you say, Barb, is I did this and it hurt you. Yeah, okay, man, that's big. Anything else? Yeah, well, we're on that subject. I kind of have another thing. And then, oh, wow. And then I'll say that back to you. So I did this and I did this and that was disappointing to you. Okay, awesome. What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Till they stop talking. If you really want to make it right, you cannot be efficient with relationships. You can be efficient with things, but you can't be efficient with people. You've got to cut out the time and slow life down to engage people so that we can win together. You've got to take the time. All the time it needs. Can't be efficient. Can't make it happen super quick. Well, okay, well, did this, did that, okay. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Okay, we're gone. Let's go. Checklist. Done. That's not going to be restoration. That's not going to be tra- bring transformation in your relationships. We got to grow up. It's so simple. Let's try it his way. Come on. Let's just not try it our way. Let's just do it his way. Let's get one-on-one. Let's make it personal. Let's make it real. We close your eyes for a moment. I want you to just be alone with Jesus. Just alone with him. Just you and him. Lord, search my heart. Where have I fallen off the wagon? Now, where have I missed what you have really called me to? 
Where have I missed your principles, Lord? And where I have offense in my heart and I've gossiped and slandered other people and I've really damaged your church. God, where have I missed that? Lord, will you just show that to me? And will you begin to shift it in my heart? God, I want to change. Lord, I want to change. Come on, just bring it before him right now. Just say, God, forgive me. But I've been trying it my way. I need to do it your way. God, make a shift in my heart. I want to obey your principles because I want to, I know they lead to life. They're for my benefit. Lord, I just change. I shift. Give me the courage to engage in humility and love into relationships to bring restoration to your church, to my family, to my marriage, to my workplace. God, will you shift that in me right now? Father, pour out your spirit of humility on each one of us, God. Let this reminder, God, just burn in our hearts and our minds that we won't shift onto our own way of thinking and doing. We'll just stay centered on your principles because they bring us life, God. Thank you, Lord. 2 Corinthians 6.3 says, We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. And no one will find fault with our ministry. This is it. When we try it his way, we get ourselves into a type of living that no one can find fault. If you did it all his way, guess what? That's the way it would be. Romans 12, 21 says, let evil, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Don't let the enemy overrun your relationships. Make a shift. You are in control. You really are. By the power of God, you're in control of the relationships, how you deal with the relationships around you. You can do it. You're a powerful person. Will you stand up with me? Let's just call on the Lord as we close in worship before we go and ask Him to do this in our heart. Father, we love you. We stretch our faith, our hearts up to you. We ask you to make the shift in our life. God, will you change everything about the way we see? Just bring us into alignment with you today. God, let your favor and your blessing rest on us. We want to walk in the center of your will every day in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.